0: This is The Marketing Natives, providing actionable ways to grow, improve, and succeed in your business. And now, your hosts,
1: Christian and Aaron. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Marketing Natives. Thank you so much for listening in um, as you probably heard on the last episode, we may be changing the name of this in the future, but, uh, before that we have farm to me, we have Gary here and super excited to talk with him about, um, all things organic, all things, um, really distribution. And, and I'm sure we'll have a great intro for this cause I, Gary's going to dive deeper, but, uh, Gary, welcome to the show.
2: Hey guys, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. So but. Let's. Uh, we don't really want you to tell necessarily about it, but let's. Um, what it, what is the Farm to Me concept, or how did this how did this come about, um, and what is Farm to Me?
2: Sure. So you know, basically, Farm to Me was designed in two thousand and ten to be a network, a network for the industry for the small batch organic uh, food space. Uh, it was built on this idea that you know back in the day. You know our food systems were were built on local food systems, so we relied on whatever was seasonal, whatever was local to us, and we've kind of like fallen fallen from the you know the wayside since the about the 1930s. But really, you know, for all of basically human existence, right? Um, we've we've all relied on local food systems, um, and there's like there's value to that, right? There's probably some kind of evolutionary value to it, um, but the idea is that we wanted to create a network. For local foods, you know, suppliers—whether you're a farm, or you know, a, a rancher, uh, or you're a manufacturer of a product—to exist in one place. And the reason, the reason we built that network is because we felt like if we had a place where everyone could go, um, whether you're in New York or you're in Dallas, or whether you're in Dallas and you move to LA, you can stay within this network, and you can kind, of, you, you can kind of live within this network um, and survive, um, within this network if you choose to, um, and there really wasn't, uh, an option back then.
1: So cool. So it started in, did you, you started in New York and it's expanded. So you have a website right now, but like can you kind of talk about the evolution of where this is expanded? I mean you're based in New York, but what's, what does this look like today now?
2: Yeah, sure. So, uh, we started the company in San Francisco in 2010. I'm originally from New York. I was born and raised here. Um, And we, you know, my partners and I flew out to San Francisco to kind of study this movement um, back in 2010. There's really only a few cities where this was actually happening. San Francisco was one of them, Austin, Texas was another. And so we spent about a half a year traveling um, from California. Um, We spent a little bit of time in Washington State, in Seattle. Um, We didn't get a chance to go to Portland. Uh, then we flew down to Austin, Texas, spent some time down in Texas, and um, ultimately came back to New York. And we came back at that time with this, like, we thought it was like this really robust database, right? We had like 400 producers in San Francisco, maybe another 200 or 250 in Austin. And then ultimately, I think we had like 150 or 200 in New York. So the whole database was probably about, I don't know, 700 producers, 800 producers. That was it in 2010. And um, we, we came back to New York and we started kind of like tinkering with the idea, of like, well, what do we do with this database? Right. Like, how, how, how do we build this? What, what you know, how, how is it going to be used? Right. Because you've got there's different ways to do it. You've got um, nonprofit organizations, right, and advocacy work. You've got lobbying, educational stuff that you could do on the government level. Um, you could uh, just be a resource, just be a database. Um, and, and ultimately, what we decided to do is we wanted to be an e-commerce. We felt like, you know, if you were an e-commerce platform, um, we could advocate, we could lobby, we could still be a database, we could do all of those things, but at the end of the day, we're tangible, so someone can get excited. Like if you, let's say, were in Austin or Dallas uh, and you wanted to find out who the producers were, you didn't want to just Google them um, through farm to me you wanted to buy their product, you wanted to taste that product, and then by tasting that product, you get even more excited. So ultimately what what it turned into at that time was an e-commerce platform direct to consumer. Um, And uh, that's that's really, that's what it was back in 2010. Um, What it has kind of like slowly turned into is an e-commerce platform um, that started as direct to consumer because that's, you know, there was no sector, there was no industry. Uh, and as that has evolved over the past, you know, let's say, let's move from 2010 for three, four years, five years into 2015, um, it started moving into a sector where we had now 4,000 or 5,000 producers in the database. And, and now you have other e-commerce platforms that are, that are following farm to bs Instagram that are finding producers that are doing this themselves. Right. And starting to create not copycats, but like, you know, other you know, platforms, local platforms in different communities in Nashville, and Charleston, South Carolina and Chicago, Illinois. And, um, you know, our focus has always been on, on the research part, but this allowed for the sector to grow. And ultimately as the sector grows, it causes, you know, some kind of pressure on grocery because now you've got this alternative grocery rate that's kind of biting away at their profits and you know moving forward for the next five years from 2015 and 2020 you started seeing wholesale grocery chefs people like that really picking up that product uh and bringing it into their shelves so and we can talk more about that um but ultimately that's what led us now to create our wholesale marketplace right where we can now allow wholesale buyers and chefs to identify who's local and who's small batch um, e-commerce platform forms to identify who's local and who's small batch and buy it um directly, you know, uh, for their, for their, for their platform or for their most
0: So right now the, the current website is not necessarily aimed to consumers necessarily cause you're talking more on the wholesale bulk, um, purchasing. Um, but then beyond that, you're also saying that it's small batch. Can you talk about that a little bit? What is small batch? Yeah.
2: So small batch it has different definitions, but, um, Small batch for us is a product that's being sold um, locally in your local community. Um, small batch is a product that is being handmade, um, typically by the owners. Um, it's using ingredients that are being sourced locally uh, from local farms or local fishermen or local seaweed, um, and uh, you know, regardless of their mission, and and I, I can't we can't control the direction the company goes, their founders and their founders have their own, uh, you know, just have their own plan or, 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 you know, a core value that they have in place for their brand. Um, but like for us, what we're trying to do is we're trying to help them grow locally, uh, and grow, you know, and dominate their local community. We're not looking to help a Dallas brand launch in California. Um and the, the way that we do that is we actually we use location-based fencing, geofencing, um, that hides your product outside of certain markets. So if you go on farm to me and you're a buyer in Dallas, you're not gonna see California products, you're not gonna see New York products. Um, and that's how we kind of like you know, maintain our mission um on the farm me platform. Now, if they want to go out and they wanna go and work with distributors and pay that distributor, you know, a couple hundred bucks to ship product to California and sell for a little bit more. That That's their prerogative. Um, and that has happened in the past. Obviously, you can imagine certain brands have grown. We've had brands acquired by General Mills. We've had brands acquired by um, Hershey's. And when they get to that point, right, we kind of remove them from the foreign platform because they no longer either suffice our definitions of small batch or they no longer, we feel like they no longer need us um, to grow. And other times you've seen a brand that's scaled out and then it hasn't worked for their investors. It hasn't worked for the General Mills investors, their new distributor partners, and so they sell them back to the to the to the original founders and the, the original founders scale it back down, um, and they call you know Farnsey back and say, hey, you know we've changed our formula. We actually are now owners of the brands again, and we're trying to do it again. So you, you, the 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 brands like they they move around a lot. Um, but I but I what I do want to say is that what we've seen recently for the past three to four years um, is that a lot of the brands that have ended up in grocery, um, maybe for the first two, like 15, 16, 17, they were brands that were still small batch and grocery were, you know, we're picking them up and giving them aisle space. But what we've seen more recently over the past three or four years is a lot of these brands are now being acquired by investors and in big box stores. Um, you know, which are all, this, all the same, right? The, these distributors and these big groceries, they're, they're, they're owned by parent companies. They're owned by the same investors. What they're doing is they're buying out these small batch brands and they're scaling national and they want from the perspective of like the, the, the consumer, they want to bring in brands that like appear new, right? Cause as a consumer, you think they're small batch because there's something you've never noticed before, but in reality, they're in every grocery store. Um, and so that's another reason we created this marketplace is that we, we feel like, you know, if, if, if that's the direction that grocery wants to go, Let's create another tool where the buyer can decide. Hey, you know, maybe I don't want to be like all the other thousands of grocery stores around me. Maybe I want to support true small batch, but they don't have the the, the 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 know-it-all, right? They don't have the resources to do the research. They don't have the time to do the research. Um, we want to give them a, a, a resource that's um, that that kind of does that research for them and 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 spends the time um, to vet and also you know provide a resource then that's as cheap as it would cost them to buy directly from the manufacturer, which is a big part of what we do. um, So that they don't say, hey, you know, it's more expensive for me to go and buy from a manufacturer or from a farm than it would cost me to go to a distributor. We say it's actually the same price. So um we're trying to create a tool for buyers the same way we were trying to create a tool for consumers. We're trying to create a tool for buyers that 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 educates them, that creates a resource that's really convenient. um, And also um is
1: affordable in their budget. That's so cool. There's, I have so many questions from that, but it, uh, so right now your guys is your, I say the the business growth issue isn't getting more brands, right? Or is it, what's the, what's kind of the bottleneck with the business side things right now? Is it, is it finding more small batch, um, businesses for each area or where does, where's the bottleneck with the business at this point?
2: We, we started working on this during uh, March of 2020 as a response to COVID, because grocery stores are empty, which we thought was such a ridiculous thing, considering we have all these producers with all these products that are just sitting on their shelves in their warehouses. Mm-hmm. And so we were contacted by the USDA, um, someone by the name of Lisa Pino, who used to work uh, for Snap during the Obama administration. And, and she was telling me that, um, you know, asking me basically if we could build this database of wholesale suppliers that grocery and Food banks and others can source. And I, you know, the first thing I did was I reached out to a bunch of partners of ours, founders of um, Harvey Farms, founders of Local Line, founders of um, Local Food Marketplace. These are huge databases of CSA boxes. And you know, we they have about I don't know together maybe ten thousand producers, and we have about eighteen thousand. So all together we have twenty eight thousand. That's the first thing we did, and. Um, you know, the so the problem isn't necessarily finding buyers um, because a lot of buyers, you know, they don't have this as a resource. They don't they don't know where to find small batch producers. They kind of go to their suppliers, their distributors, um, and they uh, they have, they have the distributors kind of define what small batch for them. Um, and at the same time, you know, there's just infinite number of resources on the small batch product side. So. We have, um, as I mentioned, we have 20,000 brands now between the entire consortium, you've got, um, you know, so we don't have enough resources to onboard them. We have maybe four team members right now doing the onboarding of the brands. Um, we're probably going to bring another 10 people starting in May. Um, and hopefully that grows. Um, we're trying to get to 500 brands, um, by the end of May and hopefully to 5,000 brands by the end of Christmas. Um, so on that side, and, and we've also gone out, to answer your question, we've gone out I and mean, we've spoken to grocers, you know, um, we've spoken to uh, Brooklyn Fair, we've spoken to HEB, um, we've spoken to smaller guys, Cool uh, Vine, New Jersey, whatever, to test it, see if anyone's interested. And literally everyone responds back, when can we talk, you know, when can mm-hmm. we jump on a phone, right? So it's not even like, there's no bottleneck. Um, It's really just a matter of trying to get on, trying to get these bridges on as as fast as we possibly can. Because to your point, right? You asked, what is our definition of small batch? It's really about local food systems, which means that unlike someone like Fair or someone like uh, Hello Abound or someone like Amazon or someone like Thrive Market, all they have to do is bring on a thousand producers and they're done, they're golden, right? You got 10,000 products, you're done. For us, that's just the beginning. Because if you divide a thousand by fifty states, you know that's only twenty producers. Um, so you know in the whole state, and you know the states of California or Texas have, you know, three, four major markets. So um, we have a lot of work on the onboard side, um, but what once it's on and, and we're sending out these messages that we're, you know, we're we're letting the buyers purchase. I could see them each buying you know a thousand, two thousand out of the product per store on a weekly basis, no problem. Um, you know, if not more, if they're not, if they're not a bigger box store, but our focus really is on a big box store. So our focus really is on mid to small size grocers. Um, you know, we see that, that, that being the big, the, the major market, um, over the next five years, um, and then ultimately five years from now, maybe then the big box stores will start to turn and realize, well, they have to do that too. Um, just like they it took them five years to get, to accept the fact that, you know, small batch was an industry and, and it was coming for them and, um. It took them five years to kind of change their mind. Is um, that? But yeah, your question. I don't think there's any bottleneck yet. Just, oh. just the really just getting the, having enough of a budget to to to, the, to onboard the small batch producers. This is probably our biggest.
1: Okay. Yeah. I want. I I want this. The closest we have is, and I'm sure you've heard of them. Is like a Sprouts. They try to get as much of the stuff that they can locally, at least a produce wise, but packaged goods anything like that or like locally sourced it's it's kind of hit or miss um it's it's not all the way there so you're focused on the wholesale side and going into the grocers and me as a consumer and because you have the e-commerce presence are you is the direct to consumer basically on the back burner or that's not it's just really not a focus or shouldn't it's not going to be a focus for a while
2: so we, yeah, I mean, for us, you know, think of it from like the perspective of, uh, resources versus reward. Right. Like, and maybe I'm wrong here, but like the way I feel about it and like, I'll be pretty intimate is that, you know, if we're just another C then we're competing against all these other Cs and we're just like one in a sea of like 50,000. Yeah and our goal is to grow local food systems like that's what we are all about our goal is to grow our database that's all we're, like it's really that simple like grow our database and grow local food systems and you know i think like to a certain extent it's like just like it's probably like your, your goal to do what you guys are doing it it's our goal to like constantly like push the industry like that there's ne- like there's never gonna be time for us to rest right i don't think because you know like we have this like really weird perspective right like we've been we've been around for 10 years um just to give you like a you know perspective on that like we've been around since before good eggs like i remember when good eggs followed us which was in san francisco like i remember when good eggs followed us on instagram you know in 2011 um and so you know to that to that point like we we see things we have this like national like view of like what's happening um from a different perspective than i think most other brands do um we know what's there we know what's not there like we can tell you like, like specifically the dallas market and say like you know this is something that would do really well here because it doesn't exist here yet and vice versa we can look at a san francisco market and say this is this is what's happening in dallas and doesn't exist here and it would do really well here and like um and that could pertain to like brands or models um, but it could also pertain to like like what we were talking earlier like this macro view of like distribution and like what's lacking in the space I think like D2 D2c brands a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them they're not lazy but they don't focus on the research they're they're more focused on the technology or they're more focused on the distribution and that's really important um, but the research is really important too. Right. Because you don't want to have every marketplace carrying the same products. And that's really what's happening. Like if you go on Hello Bound, if you go on Fair, if you go on Fair markets, all the same product, you know. Um, and that's cool. Um, you know, it's cool. But, you know, what we're focusing on is really not not that we're not, not that we're ignoring them, we're not focusing on like promoting the same brands that everyone else is promoting we're really focused on small batch guys, the guys that haven't even created nutritional fact label yet. We haven't um, gone to a co-packer yet. We, we wanna talk about like what the innovations are. We wanna talk about seaweed, you know, before one was talking about seaweed, we wanna talk about, um, you know, edible CBD, before everyone's talking about edible CBD, we wanna talk about, um, wholesale e-commerce before everyone else is talking about wholesale e-commerce. We want to talk about decentralized location-based commerce before everyone else is talking about decentralized wholesale, you know, commerce and the location-based commerce because, you know, in three or four years, you know, we'll have so many competitors in the space. We can go on and focus on the next level. Um, and, and you know, I want to say that, you know, the reason, you know, that I, I, I don't want to focus on D2C is because i feel like if i focus on d2c and wholesale at the same time the wholesale accounts are gonna get really upset right because they're gonna say well wait a minute like you're selling us your stuff but then you're also selling it through your your competitor to us mm-hmm. um you're selling to consumers as well um so it, 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 that's another that's a whole nother reason um it's a minute point but um it's an important point you don't want to like upset your customers you don't want to feel like you're you're a competitor to your own
1: customers so that's i okay so let's take a a step to the the wholesale you said is e-commerce which is which is interesting because i don't see i think there's you know maybe a couple other people but definitely not anybody really in your industry but what's what do you think is there? What do you think is the future of e-commerce for wholesale? How could that be used across maybe other areas? Not necessarily just food, but what have you guys learned? You're probably pioneers in this space. And I'm interested because we do a lot of DTC, a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising, but haven't really talked to people too much about wholesaling for e-commerce and what that could look like in other industries. Do, do you have any insight into that?
2: Yeah. When you, when you said that, I was thinking about like the craft brewery space. Um you know like wine and beer is really interesting because it's super regulated and um like every step of the process is super regulated you have to know like who's touching your product and where it is at all times and so i feel like um you know this industry is very similar in that respect that like you know to get craft beer you had to like be a a craft focused distributor and then you can source from the the craft brewery or the craft cidery uh, and then carry it into like the, the stores that want to carry it and it was the responsibility of the distributors to educate their buyers now like with the food space that hasn't really been the case um, and that has a lot to do with the fact that you know the the major players that were that were involved in creating the space and we were one of them good eggs is another farmigo is another there were a few we really focused on D to C we never thought a that, there was going to be a big d2c industry um we definitely never thought there was going to be a wholesale avenue for this stuff and so we just never focused on educating the wholesale buyer um the craft space and the brewery space was doing that um and so you know i think what what and the and, and the reason they did that is because they had to like i said like the craft brewery and the craft cidery space it's super regular you can't buy a beer directly from well you can if you go to like the winery or you go to the brewery but you can't like buy a beer from the brewery directly shipped to your house it's illegal it's it's excites and and it's very regulated Hmm. and so because of that they were always forced to do wholesale and educate the buyers um our sector kind of ignored that and even when they start to buy our stuff they immediately, it's like a year or two, they immediately started to acquire their brands and and, and kind of um, greenwashed or whitewashed or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so we just never thought there was going to be much opportunity on the wholesale side from the get-go and even more recently. Um, but what I, what I what I will say is that um, 100%, what will happen over the next five years is a lot of these big box stores that are carrying these big box, you know, Greenwash products, um, they're, they're going to experience two things. Well, first off, this industry was started from the ground up. It was started by the consumers, not the buyers. Um, and so when consumers find out that the products they are buying, you know, the, the bubblies and the um, epic bars and the macros and whatever, um, that's an every grocery store where they realize that isn't a small batch anymore they're gonna reject that product again. And um, simultaneously, you have a lot of people who've lost their jobs through the recession. You've had a lot of people who have a little bit of a piggy bank. They're gonna be opening up grocers. They're gonna be opening up pop-ups. They're gonna be opening up festivals. Um, there's gonna be a ton of opportunity for people to buy a small batch production again um, from local stores or local convenience stores, things like that. Um, that's gonna be another hamper to the to the wholesale industry, the grocery industry. Um, and really for the next five years you're gonna see a huge explosion of that people who are gonna be dumping the life savings it's like a, lab- a neighborhood craft butcher or a craft cheese shop or a craft roaster um, and you know that's what we're hedging on that's where, that's what where we're putting our bets on and um, you know ultimately what will happen is those brands, those stores, they're gonna they're gonna rely on Instagram. They're gonna rely on people like Farm to Me's wholesale marketplace. to teach them about who's local and who's small batch. They're not gonna want to carry the macro and the epic bar because um, first of all, they're in every grocery store, so it's it's not no one will come to their cheese shop to buy it. Um, and and second of all, they're it's just not in line with their their mission. So they're gonna rely more heavily on Farm to Me um and then long term what will happen is eventually you know after five years or so these big box grocers are going to realize like well we're in the same boat we were in 10 years fifteen years ago um we're all carrying the same stuff no one's excited about what we're offering so we're also going to have to bend um i think it'll take them a while um i think they're going to continue down the same path of kind of like you know acquiring brands and 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 scaling them for 200 million dollar buys purchases you know, and exits and things like that, billion dollar exits. But I think ultimately what will happen is, you know, with farm to me and all these other small little grocers popping up, there are going to be so many brands, just like a, like a, like an exponential growth of brands, especially during the recession, that um, the, the investors and these grocery stores, these distributors are not going to be able to keep up. And so, you know, if they're not able to keep up and they have to keep reinvesting, and ultimately the brands are reinvesting in or investing in or, aren't given the kind of returns they want five years from now, they're going to have to change their model and ultimately bend to the system. Um, and, and that's what we're betting on. And we're betting on the fact that they're going to rely more on decentralized. Um, maybe they won't have the same profit margins. They would selling their your greenwash products, but that's the direction they're going to have to go um, or they're going to end up, you know, falling by the wayside, um, you know, the way they did, you know, seven, five to seven years ago. So, um, that's that's what we think is going to happen. Um, I, I think that ultimately um, we'll have a lot of more D2C as well popping up, and we're hoping that you know we could be a resource for them, um, so they also could be they could differentiate uh, from their competitors. And um, but but ultimately, I think we're going to fall. We're going to move more into the direction of decentralized, location based. Um, supporting like local economies, local brands, and um, and local farms, and and that's the direction we're gonna go. Um, you know, we can we can come back and have another call in five years and see you know where we are there. But um, yeah, that's that's what I think that's that that's the direction we're going.
1: It's interesting you said that because I was actually thinking question wise would be that or I was thinking that you would be perfect for up-and-coming direct-to-consumer brands that are small batch, that are starting here, that are just creating their own ecosystem, built a Shopify site, they're selling those products, and then they're like, okay, how do we diversify, still do small batch to the consumers because we have the infrastructure, but how do we offer more for a local area? So if that's possible, and I think that that's what you kind of alluded to, if that's possible, how do I, as a local honey grower, come to you, like how, how are your fees structured? How do I get on the site? What's that process look like?
2: Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. You go on there, like you create an Instagram account, you put an email and a password, um, and then our team goes and does a little bit of vetting. We'll reach back out to you and we'll have you finish creating the rest of like your bio, um, that kind of stuff, um, send samples for us to taste so we can do like proper reviews um, look at labels, things like that. Um, and then that, that process, that's the entire process for the, for the, for the honey, for the honey producers. So once they're at that point, they've created their email and their password and their bios. Um, <clears throat> they can send and They've been approved. They can send over their wholesale sheets and then we'll have our team upload their products for them. Uh, and that's it. They're done. Um, so it's pretty straightforward.
0: There was something key that you mentioned in there. Uh, when you get the samples, that's, a uh, very important. And I was going to ask you like, yeah, have you tried all the, uh, products and things that you offer, um, on the website? I'm guessing probably majority of them maybe, or initially you did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. It's a cool job. It's yeah. a cool job. I'll
2: show you like, I don't know if I can like, reach it, but I mean, here's like something that like, you know, folks are working on, you know, like I haven't had a chance to try this yet. Um, we did try a couple other products. This is their, this is a brownie mix. But I mean, here's a Ooh. product: right um, it, In 2015, there was a brand called regrained and regrained what they did, what they broke ground on, was they were repurposing grain for their bars from microbreweries. So microbreweries create the beer, they've got spent grain and they don't know what to do with that stuff. Normally they either give it to animal feed or they dump it and it goes into the landfills. What we well, green said, you know, what, what we're going to do is we're going to take these products, these grains, we're going to turn them into a bar. And that created the first upcycle product in the U S cool. um, and you know, here we are, you know, six years later, and here's a brand that just that just launched. Um, it's also part of the Upcycle the Food Association, which was founded by Regrain in 2018, but um, they're called Renewal Mill and they're taking spent grain, you know, and they're turning it into flour mixes for brownies, right? I mean, how amazing is that, right? So we get access to like all these incredible products, um, you know, and and yeah, it's it's a cool part of the job for sure. Um, you know, Sometimes the products aren't as as they, as uh, others, um, you know, and uh, yeah, so there's that problem. But the thing that we do at farm to me is we also, we donate a lot of product. So, um, you know, we'll donate product, you know, through Food Rescue, there's like uh, situations like COVID or um, Hurricane Sandy and things like that. A lot of producers that we work with, part of the network, um, they donate food once a week during, you know, the first four months of disaster. And then we donate that product uh, on the ground. And since we're decentralized, we do that basically anywhere in the country. Um, so sometimes, you know, we'll get samples. We'll just donate those samples. We don't eat them all, um, you know. But yeah, getting samples is super. It's really important because sometimes, like, FDA is pretty like pretty rigorous. You have to make sure like the packaging is correct and. Um, you know, their 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 packaging is done correctly. A lot of times, small batch just like don't have nutritional labels or they don't have like ingredient list, things like that. So, uh, or they'll they make like you know ridiculous health claims in the front of the package, um, and that's just because they're small and they've never done wholesale before and they don't realize like there's like a very like regulated um, it's a very regulated industry. Um, so, getting samples is super important too.
0: I did see that on I believe your yeah your Instagram. You guys do giveaways, very constant, um, and also on the website, I did see that you have an app which I've never seen before. It's called Shopping Gives, uh, on Shopify, and I believe depending on the product, you you guys donate a percentage uh, of that particular product that you purchase to a cause that you can actually handpick, right from 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 the ones that you guys offer. Um, I think that was something really cool that again I've never seen on a, on a Shopify site, uh, but definitely going to explore more. Um, how did that How did that come about?
2: Yeah, so it came. It really came out of Sandy. Uh, sorry, it really came out of COVID. You know, we wanted to support some organizations that were doing food rescue around the country. So if you go on, you know, first of all, shopping gives is great. They let you donate a percentage of your sale to the nonprofit of your choice.
1: Mm. So
2: you can actually, if you're in Atlanta you can choose a nonprofit food rescue organization to land, like Gooder. Um, if you're in New York, you can support a nonprofit organization like city harvest and so on and so forth. So it's, it's just, it's just a no brainer for us. You know, these organizations need cash mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's mandatory, you know, a percentage of our profit come gets donated. Um, but we allow the customer to choose, you know, which nonprofit they want to donate to.
0: Yeah. I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, and like you're saying, I think I think something that you've mentioned multiple times is the, the local aspect of it, right? And here again, you're offering something to give back, and still you're offering it at a, a local level, you know, where they can actually donate to to those organizations. Yeah, I
2: mean, I think
0: I think the reason is like, you know, I think it has to do with with
2: research, right? Like if you're a New York brand and you're New York focused and you're only you know focusing on a New York community. You're only gonna know about the New York nonprofits, right? And so like, you know, you're only gonna know about like the New York food shows and the New York food rescue organizations and New York brands. Um, that's something that's like unique about Foreign to me is that we are national and um, we do have a lot of national partners. And so we we educate ourselves not just on the brands but on wholesale. I mean like like I don't know any New York brands unless maybe now because they're scaling but like back in the day like most New York brands didn't know about central market you know or HEB. Right. I mean, these are like these are grocery stores that are local to Texas and Texas only. And mm-hmm. unless you're back in the day, you were a Texas producer like you were going to you were going to sell them. Um, but but to but to your point, like we do, we 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 focus on on creating our databases um, and we focus on, um, you know, on, on education. And, um, you know, it's just it's it's part to me is literally as simple as that. So, you know, Focusing our database now, it's not just about you know focusing on our producer databases and our farmer databases. It's also about you know focusing on our wholesale databases. You know who's buying this stuff, who's supporting these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also about you know a database of the nonprofit organizations or um, the food events. You know like who's out there, who 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 is going to support our brands? Because it's a network. It's not just a it's not just a, a you know e-commerce platform. It's all about that network, and if we want to help the space, and we're all about location-based commerce, we have to understand, you know, how we can help our brands nationally. Um, when, we, when, we, when we go to, um, we've been doing this for a long time, so, you know, we said education is really important to us as well. When we've been educating consumers for 10 years, you know, I just recently was on Instagram the other day. And I was messaging somebody because my my one of our team members was sick, and I was I was helping cover her. And the person won a giveaway. And um, to Aaron's point, and um, that person, you know, was like a um, I guess had been following us for a while. And I was like, oh, you know, thank you so. She's like, thank you so much for letting us win. And I was like, thank you so much for you know supporting Small Batch. And she said, it's Small Batch producers. And she said, oh, please, like. You know, I've discovered more than enough brands on this on this platform, it's such a great platform. This is just our Instagram, right? So like there's the educational piece is so important, but we don't just educate consumers. Um, and now we're not just educating buyers. We educate the award ceremonies, like the Good Food Awards. They've curated so many thousands of vendors from Farm to Me, um, especially in the, the first three or four years. Um, especially food expos, they curated those shows. Um, the Seed in Miami, the, the VegFests, the the food and wine expos, like there's so many shows that so many different organizations that we've worked with, um, who've, who've been educated by farm, people, who've curated over the years directly or indirectly, um, and so yeah, like a big part of our job is is to is to continue that education. I think part of that education is like teaching you about who's available, who's around, and and some of these nonprofit organizations are doing such such an incredible job. Um, They need they need recognition Um, just because they're not in Miami and and New York and Dallas and L.A. um, just because they might be in a smaller city doesn't mean that the work they're doing isn't incredible. And uh, we just want to do our part.
1: That's awesome. And uh, I know we're um, coming close to time here, but I definitely want to kind of hopefully forecast this out in the future that we revisit this in the next year or so and have you back on to give us an update with everything. Uh, and just how it's grown. I hope that the five hundred brands is you know completely dwarfed in May, but the five thousand by by Christmas is is just a small number for you guys because it's it's so cool to see what you're doing and how you're doing it. And I'm so interested in that wholesale for e-commerce and helping just those small batch, which are those local businesses, helping them grow. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back. And before we go, we we uh, okay, awesome. Before we do get out of here we want to um kind of find out what we want to ask one question of you this is kind of a more of a rapid fire but it's more personalized to you um and I mean, you may not have time for this but what's your, what's a what's a current binge or what's a good show that you're watching right now whether it's on netflix we used to say netflix only but like netflix disney plus amazon what's a good show we should all be checking out that you're watching right now that's been it's been a lot of fun. Oh,
2: man. Um, so many good shows. Um, I was... Uh, I was watched... So so my... Uh, it's actually like a, a cheap look. My cousin is working on this documentary for a couple of years. And uh, he they just put it out on Netflix. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Um, it was a documentary on... Uh, A founder of an automobile company uh, named, uh, I forgot the, I think the last name was Carmichael. And um, yeah, it was just about this, this, uh, this woman who was uh, an inventor and investor and a a startup entrepreneur. And she invented this like three wheel car and the whole documentary was about her being completely attacked as a woman in the automobile industry, um, you know, uh, as a transgender person. And also, just like, just completely, just ruin this person's life um, for absolutely no reason, um, no more than the fact that she was just a threat um, to, you know, the 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 big boys club. And um, I thought it was just such a great documentary. I really hope that he gets nominated for an Oscar this year. Um, and. Uh, yeah. I definitely recommend your viewers to go out, check it out. Uh, just a great piece on like entre- entrepreneurship, the hustle, um, you know, failure or success, you know, what goes into into starting a brand and, and how much work it really does take. Uh, and then it's not an overnight failure or an overnight success. Um, it's a life pursuit.
1: That's oh, that's so good. That's so many good nuggets. And what was the name of it? One more time. I'm gonna I'm writing it down. I don't remember Luke, Do you remember the
2: name of the documentary?
0: I don't, remember. I don't remember.
2: I I wish I could like pull it up. Um,
1: we will do some research after this, and we will put it in the show notes at the <laughs> at the bare minimum. Because now we're we're all very curious. Um, so for those who
2: Lady in the Dale, that's the name of the show. Lady in the Dale. Lady, Lady in the Dale. Dale. Okay, okay, awesome. And, and we will have it in the, the show notes, notes for everybody. For
1: everybody. Uh, yeah, and I'd love to come back. Uh,
2: I'm sure you guys know, I'm sure you've Googled me. I, I don't usually do that many interviews, so, but I, I thought what you guys are doing is really interesting, and so you know, I wanted to support you guys are, are trying to build here, and I would love to come back and give you guys an update in a year, or another one maybe five years, and just see where we are. I think it'd be really fun to look back.
1: Absolutely. And we appreciate your time. Uh, like I said, we we will let you go, but before we do that, what's the best way for everybody to connect with farm to me and, and for you if they have any questions about how to become a wholesaler?
2: Yeah, of course. So, you know, first and foremost, if you're not into like buying, go check us out on Instagram. Um, go follow us. Um, you can either Google farm to me, uh, F A R M T O M E or the number two M E. You can Google us, go on our website, um, you can shop product, um, you can get a, a case of product and, and try it out. Um, there's tons of sampler boxes and uh, we're doing one on on Earth Day, which is coming up on Thursday. So if anyone's checking out and wants to support some small batch innovators in upcycling like the renewal mill or um, some other things happening behind me, um, feel free to check that out. Um, uh, otherwise uh, just support your small batch brand.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much gary we truly appreciate it and thank you so much for your time uh this was a ton of fun
2: thanks man yeah same here it was awesome thanks christian thanks aaron all right thank you see you